Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Uh, as a pastor, as a worship leader in the traditional church, it's that if you don't come completely perfect, I, at least I struggled with this. If I if I came uh, even sort of sinful, I, I I was a poser. I had no business being on platform. Uh, and yet, obviously, God does not work that way. I understand that more now. It sure as heck wrecked me for for years. Bipolar disorder was a life-shattering struggle for Scott Fox, a worship leader of 25 years. Eventually, it took laying down his vocation to understand what it meant to live out worship rather than just leading it. In the process, he discovered a life of desperate hopefulness, a life of heroic disgrace. Today on Connection, Scott shares with us his spiritual journey what it was like growing up in a family with a legacy of which he felt unworthy. He also describes what it was like to stand on a platform and externally proclaim the love of God while his interior world was a cycle of shame. We're joined today by Scott Fox. He is the founder of the ministry Worship Hero. He's also the author of a new book titled Heroic Disgrace, Order Out of Chaos, Hope Out of Fear, A Worship Hero Story. Well, we really want to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about your life growing up, were you always involved in church or was that something that happened a little bit later on in life? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So church uh, has been a part of my life uh, entirely growing up and uh, had a great role model and a father and, and a mother who I'd say that my parents were both uh, really, well, my, my dad especially was kind of first generation and his parents came to know the Lord um, at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. So, uh, but after my dad and, and so dad was really committed to, to raising a family uh, that followed the Lord. Tell us a little bit more about life growing up and what eventually led you down the path of ministry? Oh, uh, that's a great question. As far as uh, how that kind of, I don't know, strikes me from the standpoint of mom, mom tells stories uh, about uh, the, the pastor that we grew up at, uh, that going to attending their church in Seattle. Uh, he, he had made some numerous times, these, these points about being uh, there's, there's no higher calling was, was this guy's concept. And my mom raised me with the idea that there is no higher calling than being uh, in ministry. And I think at the time she meant being a pastor, but as you, you guys know, <laughs> ministry extends to so many other areas, like every other area. And uh, I think, I think mom understands that now more as well. Um, what was that like for you? Like, I myself became a pastor eventually and kind of the same story growing up. Like there's no higher calling than right. ministry. So w once you pursued that calling, were you able to fully like in enjoy it? Or did you feel like a sense of pressure always too? then? Mm. No, I didn't. I didn't actually feel a lot of pressure until later. Uh, and when I, when I say that the later being um, after Carrie Ann, my wife and I got married. And then after we had our first child, um, our daughter, that's when kind of the pressure started. But uh, I will say that I always had performance anxiety, if you will. 
Hmm. Uh, getting up in front of a, you know, well, in, in my case, it started in, in high school and then moved on into college. But getting in, up in front of a few hundred, or in this case, or in my case, of a couple thousand people and leading music w- really did mess with my head. Uh, the, so I, it was both and, I suppose. Um, I only really felt the pressure when I was on platform, though. Now, uh, you have a new book out that opens up a lot of details about your life in a very honest and real way. And uh, those details are struggle with mental health. So uh, what was that like to be in ministry? And then all of a sudden you starting to, or maybe it wasn't all of a sudden, but you're dealing with mental health issues. Uh, When did you notice that something wasn't quite right? And how did that play out for you? Gosh, Mike. Yeah, that, uh, that whole concept of, of getting smoked by, (laughs) by my own, by my own fraud. That that's, I mean, I felt there's no other way for me to explain it, Mike, other than I I felt like a complete poser and here's, and here's why, I mean, there was, there's this idea that in my family, at least there was this concept of growing up uh, as a hero. And, and I I had my own definition of, of what it meant to be heroic. And I actually call it, actually call it, I was creating my own Frankenstein or Frankenstein's Mm -hmm. monster just by cobbling together ideas of what heroism was. And then once I realized I couldn't be that hero, oh man, I just, I, I did. I felt like a complete fraud and I called it heroic fraud. And then, and then of course, when I realized I was really even, this is such a weird concept as, as a pastor, as a worship leader in the traditional church, it's that if you don't come completely perfect, I, at least I struggled with this. If I, if I came even sort of sinful, I, I was a poser. I had no business being on platform. Uh, and yet, obviously God does not work that way. I understand that more now, but it sure as heck wrecked me for, for years. Um, so, so Yeah. That was a real thing. What was it like to get a diagnosis? Oh, Colleen, uh, it was a relief. Uh, I, so Carrie Ann and I had gone through five years or so of, uh, well, shoot, by that time it had been roughly eight years of, of marriage. And, and I, I was steadily progressing downward in, uh, well, in, it, with, with manic depressive uh, disorder or, or bipolar disorder, you, you end up having all the highs and all the lows. There's massive euphoria, and then that can bleed into to irritation. And then it can, you know, the floor can drop out and just experience crazy depression. Uh, to, to have to not have a name for that was hell. Uh, to not know that actually something was wrong was hell. <laughs> and then, then to have our doctor come across and or, or psychologist and and psychiatric nurse practitioner who have been amazing team members to come across and be like, "Hey, there's a name for this thing that that you have, and we're diagnosing you bipolar 
manic depressive at the time. Uh, it was, <laughs> I remember Carrie Ann and I drove home and it was like, oh, that's what's wrong with me. Okay. Well, cool. There's pills for that. <laughs> kind of a sense of relief all of a sudden. Yeah, Mike, it was, it was, it was a giant sense of relief because our, our medical team told us, they, they said, um, they're trust us. We, you know, th- there are answers and, and things will change, but you have to trust us and you got to do what we say. And, and I trusted them and it did work. Did you open up about this mental health journey and about your bipolar disorder right away with your uh, ministry or was that a little bit later on down the road? Well, yeah, I was pretty open. Uh, I, 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 that was part of the counsel that I had received early is Scott, you can, you can tell whoever you want, uh, you know, about this. And I, I, I kind of got bit by it early on. I, I, I've learned some really good lessons about, and, and you, Colleen and Mike, you might, you might, you might understand too of how important it is to, to keep your circle small, uh, small enough. Uh, mm. You got to have the close people close to you <laughs> and, and kind of in those seasons, you learn who really is close and who, who was kind of faking it. Um, but I, sh- I started sharing pretty early as far as, how public I made it. I didn't, I didn't preach it from the platform or anything, but eventually what, what I started to realize, and and this is what I think is really important about kind of that question and attacking it from this angle is that this idea, the title of my books, heroic disgrace. And if this idea that I could live a, a, a lifestyle of heroic disgrace for people to see because it leads to, I think, what's called a, a heroic witness. Uh, I share my journey of heroic disgrace today uh, and that the concept of managing bipolar disorder in order to share my witness. So, so that's where it, that's where it, it evolved. Colleen? It's, um, I don't know, I imagine it can be kind of scary to broach the topic in the church. Like, it's typically not a discussion that we've handled very well or been very open of in Christianity in a wider sense. Why do you think that is? Why have we been so quiet and so bad at handling this topic? Yeah. Boy, we have been bad, haven't we? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, It's true. It's true. Um, You know, I, I I wonder, I don't want to, I don't want, I have political uh, leanings, obviously myself, but I, clearly, but uh, one of the things that I think COVID really uh, revealed is this, this, what fear does to people, uh, fear, the, the, the fear of, of physical harm when, when, so, so this, this is just my perspective on this, but, but this idea that people would, let me back up for just a second and say it this way. Masks have been really hard for me. I, I'm person. I'm a person who, uh, and it's, it's not that I don't appreciate the potential that a mask could, could help, you know, in some physical way. I get it. But, but for, for me, it was the, I, I read faces. If I can't see somebody's face 
or somebody's emotions, that messes with my emotions. And at, at, then it then it starts messing with me at a spiritual level too, where I just I I, I I can't explain it all that well, other than I know that I'm mind, body, and spirit. And so if if fear is driving people all around me to just focus on the physical, I get pretty ticked off because huh. uh, I know I know for a fact what this is doing to people mentally and spiritually. And I, I know that once you start kicking out the, the legs of that stool, mind, body, spirit, uh, you're going to have problems. Society is going to have problems. And that, that, that really has affected the church as well. As well. Uh, I don't know if I should go on much further with that, but I do think <laughs> that, that, is, that is a legitimate problem that the church has had, society has had. And I've noticed personally, uh, it's affected me. I've had to be very careful. Uh, um, I know a lot of times too, like in the church, when people come forward with their mental health struggles, a lot of people, it comes down to faith then, right? And then it's like, oh, you just need to pray more. You just need to have faith, right? Right. And, um, yeah. What do you do in those situations? Or what do you say to people that, that think that way? And how can we change change that kind of thinking within the church we've experienced that in my own family with people really okay yeah so in my experience with that mike is uh that most of those conversations not not all of them but but a a high percentage of those in in again in my experience have been centered around medication especially like why would you take medication uh when you can pray this thing away And, um, and, and I, so I, I'll just throw in kind of, I'll, I'll attack it from that angle, but this idea that, that if I'm, if, if, if I'm bleeding out, like, like my, one of my arteries has just been cut and I'm just spurting blood onto the wall. (laughs) I mean, as gory as that is this idea that you're going to stand around and pray for me. Is that what you're going to do? Or are you going to go, are you going to call the EMT and get, get a doctor to me, get me to the doctor? Uh, and, and are they going to patch me up? Well, the same thing happens with, with, with chemicals in the brain. I mean, if, if my mental artery, if you will, is spurting blood and bleeding out, uh, are you not going to, are you not going to take me to the doctor? Are you not going to get me the things that can, can help balance out those chemicals in my head? It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And uh, I, I think the, the whole concept of faith is a, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. But I am, I'm proof, m- me, myself, I am proof that, that medication has made my life so much better. Uh, and the responsibility that I had uh, for my family's sake to not go back to that guy that guy that was pre-medicated Scott. I'm still Scott. I promise you, I'm still Scott. I still got the fire spit vinegar passion, <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I knew I needed to, uh, I knew I needed to allow my faith to be in those that God has gifted uh, in other areas and expertise. And that would be those that are in the medical field that have, that have figured this stuff out for so many other people. 
One thing you say is that your mental health journey has taught you to live out worship rather than to head it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Hmm. So, yeah, Colleen, I, I want to get to this one thing because I think it's connected. Maybe you'll have to help me connect it to that question. But this idea that for, for me, this, I, this idea of a lifestyle of worship has bothered me for a long time because I, I've not figured it out myself, uh, or at least I'm figuring it out now. But that, that's why, that's why I've, I've really hung my hat on this idea that a lifestyle of heroic disgrace actually does equal a, a, a life of, of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus modeled this, this amazing heroism, but it was an upside down heroism. <laughs> he didn't come as the, the Messiah that people thought he would come as. He, Jesus came as uh, this crazy, ridiculous servant that nobody could figure out. And then he was disgraced or seemingly disgraced. <laughs> and, and, and people couldn't figure that out either because he carried this dang cross and then died on it. Hmm. Uh, and so here's, here's the thing, though. Help, health is always an option, even when healing is an absurd impossibility. That's that is from us from the lifestyle of worship i realized health that god let me rephrase that then god makes healthy what he does not heal and i wanted to pursue a lifestyle of trusting of expecting that Mm -hmm. god that god would make healthy what he what he didn't heal i'm not healed but i'm healthy and he's made me healthy because I've lived a lifestyle of, if you will, worship, or in, in my case, I'm phrasing it, a lifestyle of heroic disgrace. Like Does that, that answer your question, Colleen? Yeah. Yes. And it's made, well, it answers it for me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's good. making me think too, like um, uh, the Psalms are just running through my head. And David, so often in the Psalms, he worshiped from a place of disgrace. He worshiped from a yes. place of lament and brokenness and it built up into worship and actually at the end there as you were talking it made me think of this uh hebrew word for worship that he uses once toda which sorry mm. i'm a preacher and sometimes i preach on the show, <laughs> it's but, okay and, <laughs> but he uses this word toda which is like um a choir of people worshiping together yes, and yes. he uses this word while he's all alone in a cave meaning one day i will come into worship with the community again i trust yes. you god to restore me to bring me back and toda he he uses that word in worship and that's just what i hear coming out of your story too i love that oh thank you mike i you know in psalm so psalm 16 uh this is i'm i'm looking at it right now uh, i've tried to memorize it but to get it right i want to I'll, I'll, I'll just read it to you uh <laughs> psalm 16 11 so this is a psalm of david but it, he says you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence and with the pleasures of living with you forever. And, and so basically, if, if a listener would go back to that, or we go back to that, what we find in that, that verse, Psalm 1611, is purpose, joy, and reward. And, and so, so, yeah, David got his butt kicked all over the place. And and he, I'm sure, wondered when when will I be able to 
to right. worship and fellowship and community again. And, and, um, but nevertheless, God, you, you make known to me my path, the purpose, and you give me joy. And then he never lost track. I, I don't think uh, at some, at some level, David never lost track of the fact that reward was coming on the other end of this. Yeah. So back to your book, heroic disgrace, order out of chaos, hope out of fear, a worship hero story. What do you hope that people are going to take away from this book? Mm. Oh, Colleen. Yeah. Um, The fear of losing myself, like self in quotes, uh, um, I think it often means the fear that I fear death of something in me or, uh, or everything (laughs) or everything in my life. And uh, I I think what I've learned in this journey, and this is truly just a journey. I, I don't, claim to have all the answers. I, I do claim to be a leader though, who, who wants to lead people to safe places. And I believe Jesus guides us to those safe places, uh, himself. And so if I'm following Jesus, uh, I want to take people to that safe place. Uh, but that safe place means that true heroes to be, a, to be heroic as Jesus is heroic, uh, means that I have to die to myself for the good of others. And that's the, uh, that's, that's the, that's the thing that I would love for, for all of us to, to figure out as a church, oh, the church is having a hard time right now, dying to itself. We get stuck in, in preferences and opinions and, and it divides us. And uh, boy, if there's ever a time that the church internationally needs to figure its stuff out, uh, we got to stop. We got to start dying to, to ourselves, our preferences and our opinions. And, um, and we do that for the good of others and for the glory of our savior who did the exact same thing for us. So that would be the message that I would leave. And, and one other thing, I would simply say this, the actions of Jesus seemed disgraceful. Maybe. But his love was absolutely, entirely, dangerously heroic. Absolutely. And that's what I want people to take from this concept of heroic disgrace. Because it does, he brings order out of chaos and hope out of fear. And I'm proof that he can do that. And if he can do it for me, doggone it, I know, I know Mm. he can do it for anybody else. Tell us how we can get our hands on the book and also maybe how we can find you online and keep up to date with what you're doing next. You got it. Colleen, Mike, it's, it's, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time. I, I am, uh, like I said, I'm such a rookie with all of this. This is my first book. <laughs> Putting Heroic Disgrace out there has been an amazing journey, uh, learning process. You can find me at at heroicdisgrace.com. And then I, I, I really am trying to figure out this whole social media presence stuff. And I, I figured, well, Instagram and Facebook might be the, the safest place for me to do that. So I've been putting things out on Worship Hero uh, on Facebook. So Worship Hero is the, the ministry name. Heroic Disgrace is the name of the book. So you heroicdisgrace.com and then Worship Hero on Facebook and It'll expand 
God willing, to all the other crazy places that we go for entertainment and media. (laughs) But when the time is right. Thank you so much for making time for us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for your fearlessness uh, and selflessness. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Remember, if you want to listen to this full conversation again or to any of the other conversations that we've had here on Connections, you could do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave a review while you're there. We'll talk to you again on Connections.